On February 19th, 2009, as 34-year-old Chiquita Tate sat in her office at her Baton Rouge, Louisiana law firm, she had no idea that while prepping her opening defence for an upcoming high-profile double murder trial, she was moments away from becoming a murder victim herself. Hey Coffee and Crimers, I'm your host, Belle Fagan. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. Born in October 1975 in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, on the banks of the Mississippi River, Chiquita Tate didn't have the best starts in the world. She was raised with her six siblings by her grandmother in a poor neighbourhood full of boarded up houses and had a rocky upbringing. Determined to break the cycle and make a life for herself, she studied hard. She was as competitive as they come, so it was no surprise to anyone when she was the first member of her family to go to college. She left Baton Rouge and headed to Clark Atlanta University, getting her bachelor's in English. She'd always loved the legal system, to the point where she actually got a tattoo of Lady Justice on her back. So armed with her new degree, she applied and got into Southern University Law Centre to study for the bar, which she passed first time with flying colours, which came as a surprise to nobody. In October 2004, she was sworn in as an attorney in the state of Louisiana. And by January 2005, she'd set up her own legal practice and was a rising star in the world of criminal defence. But still a family girl, she employed her sister, Danita, as her assistant. Professionally, things were incredible, and her personal life soon followed. On a night out in 2008, she met a contractor by the name of Greg Harris. They met literally cruising their cars, and I mean literally cruising their cars. Him in his Corvette, her in a Mercedes. Greg cut in front of her, and she was mad, holding her hand down on the horn, and then they both pull up to a set of lights. He just grinned at her, and the rest is history. They had a low-key wedding in 2008, so it was a pretty whirlwind romance filled with all of their loved ones and life was 
good. By the night in question, she'd already made a name for herself, taking on some of the city's hardest cases, often representing accused killers, drug dealers, gang members, etc. You get the picture. And she had no problem talking to TV cameras on the steps of the courthouse. She loved the limelight and loved the challenge. Like the banana pepper, C-H-I-Q-U-I-T-A. Put hyphen hair as my husband out with And like I said at the start, the night of her murder, she had stayed late to work on the high-profile case that she was defending. She was representing brothers DiNarco and Darius Duhart for allegedly burning a man named Jason Formey alive in 2007. These brothers were known as the baddest dudes, in inverted commas, of Baton Rouge. But she had no qualms about taking them on as clients. Her colleagues described her as a free spirit, confident in her own abilities. For example, one day she'd show up to court in a smart suit and sensible shoes, and the next day in four-inch stilettos and spiky hair. But no matter which outfit, she smashed it in the courtroom and walked in like she owned the place. She did, however, have a darker side. Super happy one day and super fiery the next. In fact, her sister reported to Dateline NBC that Chiquita would fire her as her assistant weekly. And then by the evening, they'd be chatting on the phone and she'd be like, "Okay, see you in the morning, as if nothing had happened. So with all that information, we'll all be forgiven for thinking that we know exactly who or what kind of person killed her, right? But just keep listening. By early the next morning, Chiquita's face was all over the news. Greg knew that she'd been working late, but had been getting increasingly worried when she wasn't answering his calls. By dawn, he woke up, saw that she still wasn't home, so decided to drive down to the law office. He saw her car outside, where it should be, but that actually just made him feel more uneasy, he said, because why hadn't she been answering her phone if she was still in the office? The building was locked and he couldn't get in, so he decides to call 911. She told me she'd be on about an hour or two. Then after that, we started calling her and calling her. Everybody was calling her. Nobody could get a hold of her. So I just came down because when I woke up this morning, she still didn't answer the phone. So I just came down to see where you know what was going on. As he hung up, he just happened to notice a patrol car passing, so he flags it down and also calls his sister-in-law, Danita, at the same time. The cop manages to get in, couldn't really find out more details. I think somebody in the office happened to arrive to come into work. It was like a big shared office space. But whatever, the cops and Greg managed to get into the building. Within seconds of walking into Chiquita's office, the officer immediately realises that this is a crime scene and a bad one. And he needs Greg out. Outside, Chiquita's family were all gathering by the main door. Danita tried to get in, but police stopped her. And that's the moment she says that she realised that Chiquita was dead. Greg was hysterical, so hysterical that they had to actually put him in the back of the police car to try and calm him down because police needed to establish a timeline and quickly. Greg told them that Chiquita had called him around 7pm and asked him to bring her some dinner. So he did. He left their home, which was about 25 minutes away from the office, went into their local McDonald's and then took the food that he'd ordered over to Chiquita. 
They ate together. He did a few errands for her within the building, like going down to reception to collect some money and papers from one of her clients. Then around 8.30, she still wasn't finished. So he said, look, I'm going to go home. I'll see you back there. And he left. That would be the last time anyone reported seeing her alive. The scene detectives were working with was horrific. She had been butchered. She was laying on the floor with little slipper socks on her feet, a law book in her hands, paperwork strewn everywhere. She'd been stabbed 43 times and it was clear that she'd put up a fight from the position of her arms and it was also clear that the killer had kept stabbing her after she died. But that was it. There was no murder weapon, no footprints, no partial fingerprints, no blood in the stairwell or in the hallway. The killer had vanished without any trail and hadn't taken anything either. Chiquita still had on all her expensive jewellery. She had an expensive watch, earrings, etc. So it didn't appear to be a robbery. But as the scene was processed, crime scene investigators realised that her wallet was actually missing from her bag. Again, they're processing everything, checking her body, and in her hand there seems to be a major clue. Her left hand is open and sitting there is hair. 91 strands of hair, to be precise. Questions are now massively swirling in the detective's minds. Had she pulled it from the killer's head? The hair was long, so did that mean that the killer was a woman? The problem was the list of possible subjects would be as long as her client list. Because at the end of the day, she was representing criminals, and criminals are just that. Especially as her family didn't believe that there was anyone in her life that would want to harm her. She was loved by everyone. The way she'd been butchered was cold and heartless. Surely not the doing of someone that cared about Chiquita? However, on the flip side, she was stabbed to death. And unlike a gunshot, stabbing is super personal and very hands-on. The prosecutor for the case, Prem Burns, said, quote, It wasn't even like she was stabbed three or four times. There were over 40 wounds to her body. Her face was cut repeatedly as if to disfigure her intentionally, end quote. Now, outside of Chiquita's building were traffic cameras. So the police were like, OK, this is going to help us massively. And that they hoped would be the key in them getting their man or woman. Would it show who entered after Greg had left? Not only were Chiquita's family shaken to the core, but the whole of Baton Rouge's judicial system. This was like one of their own, and they wanted answers. So the pressure was massively on for detectives. But pressure or not, this wasn't going to be an easy catch. The camera directly outside of the law office had been damaged by a recent storm and wasn't working. The only one they could find was from a few streets away and that literally pulled up nothing. So they were out of luck. Absolutely no footage of that night whatsoever. But let's not panic just yet, okay? Crime scene techs had taken scrapings from under Chiquita's fingernails and had sent them off for lab testing. Had she scratched DNA off of her killer? Boy, I hope so. And let's not forget the clump of hair in her hand. Did that contain DNA that would identify the killer? So we've got things to work with here, guys, okay? And I went to an all-girls school and I've seen my fair share of catfights and the first thing girls do 
is pull hair. And pull hair with force, meaning you're going to find root follicles, okay? Except the lab results are back on the hair. We've got root follicles, right? Because this was a fight scene, so there must be. Wrong. No. No roots at all on any of the 91 strands found in her hand. Instead, it looked like the hair must have come from a wig or a weave. So frustratingly, there is absolutely no DNA. But it narrows it down to the theory that this must be a, a woman, right? They've tussled and Chiquita has managed to rip out some of the killer's weave. Except detectives aren't buying it. The attack was too violent and too overwhelming. As more questions than answers are flowing, a call from dispatch informs them that a woman driving through a high crime area of town called Guardia Lane had found a wallet, and that wallet was Chiquita Tate's. Not only that, but the woman who found it knew Chiquita. Apparently, Chiquita had given a speech at her daughter's school and had made such an impression on everybody, the students, the parents, that it was hard to kind of forget her name and her face. So I mentioned that because of the jewellery still being on Chiquita, detectives had pretty much ruled out robbery, except for the missing wallet. And now robbery really is off the table, as nothing is missing from Chiquita's wallet. It is stuffed with her cash and her cards and her ID. Everything is still sitting in there intact. And like I said, Guardia Lane, where the wallet was found, was a well-known high crime area. The killer, detectives realise, was clever. Planting a Gucci wallet in a crime-ridden area stuffed with credit cards, they were almost guaranteeing someone would find it and go on a spending spree and basically incriminate themselves because how could they explain Chiquita's wallet ending up in that part of town? Plus, who's going to take the word of a low-level criminal? They would be the top suspect in her murder. But the killer could never have banked on a woman knowing Chiquita, finding it, and immediately reporting it. Guardia Lane was also the place where the Dewhart brothers hung out. Again, a clever, clever ploy on the part of the killer. Detectives by now are building up a pretty good profile of their killer. They were good or lucky enough to get out of the building without leaving a trail of evidence. Then, even though it was a bloodied, frenzied attack, they still had the composure or presence of mind to go and plant the wallet as a red herring. This was a person not easily flustered. So, could it have been a professional hit? Two men on Chiquita's client lists jump out at them. Two men who were accused of killing a man and his 17-year-old son. Except one of the men is in prison, as were a number of the clients on Chiquita's books. Others had alibis, so that only left a small handful of clients that could have come to the office that night. Looking deeper into who Chiquita was as a person, detectives found that, yes, she was a woman, well-loved and respected, but had a huge temper. And it was always her way or no way. So had she pushed someone too far? Greg had been working alongside police this entire time. He hadn't lawyered up, he'd surrendered the keys to his truck so it could be examined, and had granted access to his and Chiquita's home. But being cooperative doesn't mean that you aren't a suspect, especially spouses. They are the first person the police are going to look at. Now, initially, the search of the home threw up nothing. No weapons, no bloodstained clothes, no foreign DNA, etc. 
However, when they looked in a closet, it did reveal something odd. They found an audio recording of Greg and Chiquita in a screaming match, and the argument sounded like they were splitting up, arguing over who was going to take what. But just like she fired Danita weekly, she allegedly did the same in her marriage, continually threatened to leave, even right up to the last day that she was alive. She'd spoken to her sister Danita on the morning of the 19th and said, quote, I just can't do this marriage thing no more, end quote. Greg's parents, in an interview with Dateline NBC, said that they just assumed the couple had hit a rocky patch due to Chiquita often not being home. She would take these high-profile cases that often meant that she had to travel to different states, and the couple would be apart for extended periods, and Greg often felt that she just had no time for him. The audio recording they found, though, wasn't the only audio something was wrong. Their investigation led them back to a 911 call from two months before they had gotten married. Help me, help me, help me, he choked me, and I think he broke my arm. An officer is dispatched, obviously, because Chiquita is called and alleged that Greg has hit her. Now, charges actually end up being filed against them both. So police now bring this up during questioning with Greg, and he gets mad. They went back with Greg over his timeline, asking him the exact route that he took home after they'd eaten dinner. He told them which way, and police decided to try a tactic to see if they could catch him in a lie. They told him that they had traffic camera footage and said that it told a different story and that they'd also tracked his cell phone and it had pinged from the complete opposite direction. Now, they actually had none of these things because just like the camera outside of Chiquita's office, the ones on Guardia Lane weren't working either. But Greg didn't know that. And they wanted to see how far they could go and if Greg would crack. So now they've convinced him that they have his location from a cell tower and that also he's gone through Guardia Lane because they've got him on traffic camera footage. So they ask him, when did you last go to Guardia Lane? Initially, he tries to act dumb, repeating the name of the street, Guardia Lane, like as if he's never, ever heard of it. And then they push him again and he admits that he was there right after leaving Chiquita. Why? Because that's where his steroid dealer lived. For the cops, this was their gotcha moment. Although they tried to play it cool, they knew that this was a huge deal for them because Greg had just put himself in the exact location of Chiquita's thrown-out wallet. Now, they might not have hard evidence or DNA, but they did have the leverage of the old domestic abuse call, and they ran with it. So, I said a moment ago that both of them had been charged after that 911 call, but only the charges against Chiquita had been dropped. He actually, so Greg, still had a warrant out for that crime because he'd failed to show up for a court hearing in relation to it. So even though it was a year and a half old and had absolutely nothing to do with this case, police were able to put him into custody for a few days. And this gave them time for the forensics from the crime scene to be tested and also gave them time to check out the steroid alibi. But Greg's alleged dealer denied seeing Greg that night. All of a sudden, while they're checking all of this out and Greg is in custody, the investigation charges off in a new direction. So Greg is holed up in a cell and they suddenly get an anonymous call from a woman alleging that Chiquita was involved in a romantic relationship with two women 
and a bitter love triangle had ensued. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. When I think I know where this case is headed, a curveball gets thrown in. So could that explain the strands of female hair? And who were these two women? Well, they were actually Chiquita's clients, a same-sex couple who she'd been helping with an adoption case. The anonymous caller suggested that their lawyer-client relationship was more than that, and that she'd also noticed scratches all over one of these women. So that would fit with a crime of passion, right? Immediately, these women are both interviewed and both vehemently deny that they had anything more than a lawyer-client relationship with Chiquita. Not only that, but no scratches are found on either of them. And one of them had braids, not a weave. But even more important than that, they both had alibis. Now confident that the tip was bogus, they decide to look into the tipster. They trace the call back to a town in Texas, so decide to drive out there and interview some locals and see if they can get a feel for who it could be. And they soon get a phone number of a woman who, when she picks up, sounds exactly like the person who'd left the anonymous tip. So who was this woman? Because she's in Texas. That's not Baton Rouge, not Louisiana. How did she even know Chiquita? Did she even know Chiquita? Oh yes, she knew her all right. It turns out that the caller was Greg's sister. All of a sudden, roads are leading back to Greg. Was he or his sister trying to plant a false lead? Diving deeper into Greg opens a rabbit hole. They find that Greg actually had a history of outbursts in his previous relationships, an anger problem that had been unleashed more than once, and control issues. Detectives also find that Chiquita had recently taken out a lease on a new apartment. Now, she hadn't moved in yet, but it looked like this time she really was serious about divorcing Greg, which meant he had lost control over her. So was this a case of nobody leaves me, nobody gets to leave Greg Harris unless Greg Harris says so? Greg's brother denied that that could even be a possible motive. He said he knew that there'd been discussions of splitting up, but he also knew that they'd been working it out. Then, even more interestingly, going back to this love triangle, Greg's dad said that Greg's sister had gotten the love triangle information from him, not Greg, and that he had gotten it from another attorney. <laughs> okay, try and just get that straight in your head for a moment. So it wasn't about throwing the cops off, it was a legitimate concern. Now, I don't know if I'm hormonal or what, but I just wanted to start throwing hands at this point. If you've got a legitimate concern, then, you know, be a grown-up, use your words, and walk into the police station and say, hey, you're looking into my sister-in-law's death. This may be an avenue that you want to pursue. Like, why all the secret squirrel stuff? It's not a good look, if you want me to believe anything that you say at all. So by now, police are looking at Greg and his family are mad. His mum, Joycey, says, quote, My son Greg was a son that helped raise his brothers. He made sure they were fed while I was at work. He made sure they did their homework when they got back from school. End quote. His brother, Mike, also said, You know you have people you want to grow up to be like? Well, mine was my brother. I wouldn't be the person today if it wasn't for him. Now, obviously, no one's parents or siblings are going to think that they're capable of a heinous crime. But in fairness, nor did Danita, Chiquita's sister. She was interviewed and said that she could never imagine or picture Greg being as angry or violent enough to do that to Chiquita. 
So the few days that they've had with Greg in a cell comes to an end and he's released. And maybe it wasn't him after all. His dad told police that about three in the morning, someone came up to Greg's bedroom window and shot through it, aiming towards the bed. Unbeknownst to the alleged shooter, Greg had fallen asleep on the sofa, so wasn't even in the room. His dad told reporters, quote, Someone came up to his bedroom window about 3.40 in the morning and shoots into the bedroom window five times with a 10mm gun, hoping that he was in the bed. It just so happened that Greg fell asleep on the sofa. God saved him. He was not in that bed. Then the lab results from the scrapings taken from under Chiquita's fingernails come back. And yes, it does show DNA from Greg, but also from someone else, an unknown male. So let's just recap here for a moment, okay? So Greg is the last person to see Chiquita alive. Their marriage has been volatile and he's now also put himself on the street that Chiquita's stolen while it was found. His DNA wasn't found at the scene. She had long hair in her hand and the house and the truck hadn't really shown up anything of major interest. Or had it? A pair of sunglasses have now been found after a more extensive search wedged under the seat and this time they find blood. There is a mix of both Greg and Chiquita's blood on the left lens and the right arm. This is enough for detectives to charge him. On March 16th, less than a month since the murder, Greg was charged with second degree murder. He was remanded in custody for the two years that it took for his trial to go to court. In March 2011, the prosecution set out to prove that he had killed Chiquita because she was going to leave him. They had ex-girlfriends testify that he had a Jekyll and Hyde personality, sweet while dating and then controlling and physically violent once together. They also showed the jury that he had another motive, money. The night of the murder, he had called his boss and asked for an advance on his paycheck or for a loan. And his boss said no. With Chiquita dead though, he would get $60,000 from her life insurance. A crime of passion, the prosecution argued. No, because he was cold and calculating enough to plan the crime and cover it up. The long hair suggesting a female killer. The prosecution said the whole thing looked staged. She wasn't clutching the hair. It was just laid in her open hand and kind of evenly weaved through her fingers. And Prosecutor Burns made a good point. If you've just had 90 odd strands of your hair or weave or whatever pulled out, you'd be really stupid after the killing to leave it. If I'd been fighting with somebody and they pulled my hair out, I'm taking it with me. Especially as they'd been so careful to not leave any trail of blood or evidence anywhere else. Then the thrown out wallet in a well-known criminal area. Even the shots through his bedroom window, they said, was a cold, calculating action to make it look like the killer was still out there and wanted him dead too. The love triangle, everything, it was all so much effort to take the focus away from Greg. The blood on the sunglasses, though, couldn't be argued with. Based on finding that blood, crime scene techs had gone back to the couple's home and rather than just search it, this time they used luminol. And according to the prosecution, blood droplets were found all over the house, including on a bottle of bleach. Again, the blood was a mix of both of theirs. The defence, however, said literally none of that proved anything. They didn't have anything tangible tying him to the scene. 
The blood found was so minimal that it could have been from anything at any time. So that's the blood on the glasses and the blood around the home and on the bleach bottle. With the extent of the blood at the scene, they argued that there was no way police wouldn't have found a huge amount of blood in Greg's car or on his clothes. They also argued to the jury that the presence of the hair was enough to cause reasonable doubt. Okay, it might not have been the clients in the alleged love triangle, but it could have been another woman. And why hadn't he admitted to police about being on Guardia Lane? Because he was too embarrassed to admit that he'd been buying illegal steroids. Also, what about the unknown male DNA found under Chiquita's fingernails? The defence asked the court why hadn't detectives looked longer and harder into her clients or potential clients. There was somewhere out there who had been close enough for Chiquita to get their DNA on her. After 16 days, both sides rested their case and the jury went off to deliberate. Only three and a half hours later, the jury come back with a decision. Guilty of second degree murder? No. Instead, they asked the judge if they could find him guilty of manslaughter, which obviously, as we all know, is a lesser charge. And the judge agreed. The prosecution was flawed. And in fact, so was the defence, because no one had even argued manslaughter or put it on the table. So why on earth did they even think that, yes, he'd murdered her, but that it wasn't premeditated? The prosecution team was actually allowed to go and speak to the jury and they were told by the foreman just that, that yes, they believed that something had happened up there that had gotten out of hand. Now, manslaughter is a lesser charge, which means that it can hold a lesser sentence. So anywhere from a few months to 40 years, but the jury were confident that even though they'd given him a lesser charge, the judge would do right by giving a harsher sentence. And the judge did. They threw the book at him she handed him the maximum sentence of 40 years without the possibility of parole. Now, I don't even need to say it because you know he's going to appeal. And he did. He immediately got a new lawyer who argued that the sentence was unfair because the judge knew the victim personally. However, the judge had disclosed that right at the start and was on the record saying that Chiquita had been her law clerk while studying at uni and no one had objected and no one said that she should recuse herself. However, Greg's new lawyer said that yes, that was true, but he had found out that the judge hadn't disclosed everything. He found out that Chiquita had actually been the judge's lawyer on a civil case a few years back. Greg was vehement that he was innocent and that it was the other brother, okay, you're going to have to get this straight in your head, okay, so he believes that it was the other brother of the Dewhart brothers, whose name was Denard Dewhart, and not him. Now, the Dewhart brothers were both in prison the night of Chiquita's death, and Rick Gallup, Greg's lawyer, alleged in the appeal papers that the DNA found under Chiquita's fingernails matched Denard, and that he killed to get a continuance in his brother's trial. You may need to rewind that just to get it all straight into your head. And just a side note, incidentally, the Jason Formey murder charges were actually later dismissed against the Dewhart brothers after several witnesses were shot and killed, according to the advocate. Danarco was eventually convicted of attempted second-degree murder in an unrelated incident and is now serving 20 years in prison, and Darius is serving a 14-year sentence due to a 2014 gun charge conviction. So there's no denying that these were bad guys, okay? So it's a great defence for Greg to use that it had to be them. But despite all these allegations in the appeal, in 2016, his request for a new trial was denied. 
Police went on record saying that every lead they followed always circled back around to Greg Harris. Do you think they got the right man? Thanks for listening. To see today's case photos and video footage of Chiquita Tate, click on the link in the case description to join the Cup of Coffee and Crime Facebook discussion group. And if you're enjoying being here, please leave a review on whatever platform you get your podcasts. Until next week, stay safe. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.